This podcast is brought to you by Likeable Media. At Likeable Media, we create, curate, and promote content that gets your brand results. So contact us today by visiting likeable.com. All the social ladies, 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 all the social ladies. Now put your phones up. Welcome to All the Social Ladies with CEO of Likeable Media, Carrie Kirpin. Now, Carrie Kirpin. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of All the Social Ladies. I am Carrie Kirpin, CEO of Likeable Media, and today I am so excited to bring you Stacey Jaffe. Stacey Jaffe oversees Teach for America's social media and blogging platforms. She leads a team of five full-time staff members while partnering with a variety of other teams. In this role, Jaffe develops strategies to utilize social media metrics as a focus group upon which to improve the social media experience. And I think that's really key. And I can't wait to talk to her about that. Previously, she worked for Nickelodeon's Team Umizumi, which is educational preschool television show, which I have just learned about and I'm quite excited about, in content development. And in that role, she conducted focus groups to ascertain how to improve the content to best resonate with the audience. So we're going to hear a lot about how to create content, not just content creation, but how we get there. And I'm so excited to have her today. Welcome, Stacey. Thank you so much, Carrie. I am thrilled to be here. Oh, it's really exciting. Okay, so tell me first... Before we get into all of the brilliance that you've already shared with me pre-show, tell me the story of your career. I would love to. So I was working in preschool television and educational television, and uh, my longest stint was on Nickelodeon's Team Umi Zumi. So to any Umi friends out there, hello, hello. I love and Umi Zumi. I love Umi I even Zumi. just love the name. Yeah. I just want to say it over and over. Please do. Please do. Umi Zumi. Umi Zumi. <laughs> I love it. It's on okay. iTunes. Check it out. I love it. I'm uh, going to download it immediately. Yeah, absolutely. And my role on Team Umi Zumi was to be the voice of the audience. Umi Zumi and Nick Jr. as a whole really believe in content created by kids for kids. So as every episode was in development, we would pause the development of the episode and I would conduct focus groups with three to five-year-olds where we would show them the content and talk to them about what are they loving, what are they not liking, what are they not understanding, and we we would really go back and work with the writers and the animators on how to make it even better for them based on the feedback they gave us sort of mid-process. And I was always sort of taken with this as a way to create content. I really believe that the audience always knows what the audience wants. I really, when people say you have to give them what they never knew they always wanted, that doesn't resonate with me. I think people always know what they want. And our job as content creators is to elevate it and give them a better version of what they were seeking. Um, so I was at Nickelodeon having a ball, and simultaneously, I was serving on the board of my old summer camp. Shout wow. out to Camp George in Perry Sound, Ontario. Camp George, woo woo! Oh, ooh, thank you. I love this. <laughs> Give me a little, a little shout back out, out there. A yeah, shout out for you. And while I was on the board of Camp George, um, we were participating in customer satisfaction index that was being done out of Cincinnati, Ohio, with I think about a thousand different summer camps. So they would compare you to the other camps. And we, in our third summer of participating in the survey, totally tanked, like miserably. Mm. And you're like, every measure was awful. It looked like we had the most awful summer and it didn't resonate with our experience on the ground. 
And graciously, some Asian researchers who had conducted the research gave me the verbatims. And when I was reading through them, it became really clear that we had a communication problem, that parents had allowed us to have to be responsible for the care of their children for eight weeks over the summer, and they had no idea what happened while their children were in our care. So the kids came home, and I was like, camp was great, Mom, running to my room. And the moms were like, uh, we're not having this. So I wrote a strategic plan for social media with the idea being, all we have to change is doing is that we need to do a better job talking about everything we're doing. And if we do that, if we just talk about what we're already doing anyways, all of these measures will improve. And the camp director really bought into that idea and actually made no programmatic changes going into the next summer. We only changed – we just implemented this um, communication strategic plan. Okay. And we tripled every measure oh. the following summer on the exact same survey. So, Amazing. A um, hundred other camps actually adopted my strategic plan. We won an award from the Grinspoon Foundation for Impact and Technology. Amazing. And I was really just taken with social media and taken with – the way content on social media develops and it creates a sense of community and creates this sort of own world of conversation that really allows people to connect with one another. Mm. And like all television shows, um, Timu Mizumi had a series finale. You can still watch the episodes. They're airing in repeat. <laughs> but uh, the new episodes are a thing of the past. And when I was thinking about like what to do next with my career, I was really thinking a lot about social media because to me it always seemed like if you did – Social media is a focus group in much the way we did focus groups at Team Umizumi. You could really impact the content that you were putting out and really create these large communities to really revel in what you were doing and what you had to say. And through that, you could make a difference. So I um, saw a job opening at Teach for America and sort of pitched to them this idea that they had great content, but we could really hone in on the comments and the feedback and our social listening and use it as a focus group, much like you would conduct a qualitative focus group, and really amp it up to the next level. So they were looking for somebody to create content, right? They were looking for a much more typical social media director, and I... Uh, very boldly in my cover letter suggested that like we could do that but we could sort of up it a step because they already had a team of people that were doing content and it's because ultimately it's about listening to your audience it's about listening to your audience and I was just it was it should have been a sign to me that I was so going to end up in the right place because the hiring manager who is now my current boss was so open to that and her team were so open to that and I have found that I've ended up in a organization that is incredibly innovative and really nimble and flexible and all the things you would hope someone would let you be when you work in social media. So it's been a really incredible journey. So It's so interesting that you that you say that. So you from what I hear, it sounds like you would recommend kind of an out-of-the-box recommendation for when you're applying for a job. I know there are a lot of kind of young people who are hesitant to do that and they want to fit how they can fit best within the box. But it sounds like what you're saying is create your own box. I would absolutely say create your bo- your own box because I think that is when you end up in the career that you're really happy with, you're really passionate about. And I didn't just to be careful, like I didn't wildly suggest right. the box. Like I did have this background right. in social media and audience listening. and But I really think you can look at the skills you have and think about unique ways to apply them and really make that pitch. Right. You didn't create something that wasn't within your wheelhouse. You Absolutely. just created something that they weren't necessarily expecting and then became infinitely better. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it was very cool. I love this story. So tell me about Teach for America. I mean, it's an incredible organization, but I'm sure our listeners would love to know a little bit more about it. So Teach for America is an incredible organization, and our mission is that we believe that all children deserve excellent opportunities in education and that right now a – the way it exists in the United States is that there's a lot of inequity in education, and mm-hmm. we're really looking for the equity in education. And what we do is we help school districts who um, 
can't find enough teachers, find great teachers for their classrooms in really low-income schools. Mm. And we place teachers all over the country. Some are in the Mississippi Delta. Some are in Chicago. Some are in Milwaukee. Um, and they um, give us a two-year commitment to teach. And a great majority stay in the classroom or stay in education long after the two years end. Um, and we really um, believe that our teachers carry a passion for education with them lifelong and that it impacts how they think about whatever career they end up in next. And so when you're crafting a message and you're crafting a social strategy for Teach for America, who would your target be? Is it the current teachers that you have in the program? Is it people who might aspire to teach, who might never thought that they would? Who are you looking to reach through through social? That's a great question. Actually, that's something we think about a lot because we actually have a huge audience mm -hmm. and then there's a lot of niche audience within it. So um, we have those that are looking to teach. We have those that are current teachers. After you complete our two-year program, you're actually called alumni. We have alumni. Uh, we have one of my favorite groups because they write the sweetest, most heartwarming messages. Parents of our teachers and alumni oh. often write on our social media about how proud they are of their kids. So if you ever need your heart warmed, uh, go read the comments. Uh, a lot of other educational organizations follow us and want to have conversations with us about how to push education forward. And I think one of the things we try to think about uh, – my biggest pet peeve in social media is when people wallpaper and mm -hmm. they put the same piece of content on every channel. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for the of emphatic course. yes there. Yes. Yes. Uh, I believe, and I'm sure from your emphatic yes, you probably yes. do too. It just teaches your audience not to follow with you on multiple channels because yes. they pick their favorite and it's the same anyways. Uh, so we really have a unique narrative for every single one of our social channels. Mm -hmm. So I think when we have a great story to tell, we think about which audience, which narrative does it fit best with and does it resonate with the audience we believe we have there. Um, so I think we think about it on multiple levels. And so when you have a kind of complex moving target like you have, you have alumni, you've got current teachers, you've got aspiring teachers, you've got all of these people, how are you using your kind of insights to gain knowledge around the content to create? How, do you, how are you doing that at Teach for America? So I always think about content in terms of a content loop. So it starts with the piece of content itself. It generates conversation. Mm -hmm. um, you hope that that conversation draws in the community. And from that, we do a lot of social listening. So a lot, some of that is quantitative. Some of it is qualitative. Yep. Uh, what was the reach? What was the sentiment? And then from your listening, what did you learn? What were the insights about that piece of content? And then how do you push that forward to iterate the next piece of content you're creating either along the same lines or to your content as a whole? Did you learn a lesson that sort of applies everywhere? And I think the quantitative tells you a lot of benchmarks. I think it tells you, you know where your baseline is. You know what your averages are. You know, did you best it? Did you do worse than that? What does that mean? But I think the qualitative and what people write in and how much they share about what it provoked in them, I mm -hmm. think really tells you the level to which the content you created is sticky. Totally. And it resonated with them and the thoughts it provoked. So I really think a lot about how many people probably felt similarly and didn't write it in. And how much can we extrapolate from this without going too far and creating too many focus groups of one, but... I love that because I think without the qualitative, you you kind of miss – the quantitative gives you kind of the broader base numbers, but the qualitative is what gives you kind of the heart and the pulse of the conversation. Absolutely. Totally agree with that. So tell me about how Teach for America – how many employees are there? 2,000? Two, about 1,500 to 2,000. So how do you structure your team for success in social? How do you come up with enough content? How does it work? 
first and foremost, we have a content North Star on social. So our all of our content on any of our social channels ladders up to the idea that we want to ignite conversations that show that education affects everyone and everything. Mm. So can we show that it ladders up to that? And then from there, I think um, we not only do we do this little bit of content loop iteration on every individual piece of content, but we look at it as a whole across the channel. So we come up with a strategy for the channel. Uh, We give ourselves about three months to play out that strategy for the channel. Uh, During the three months, we look at the conversation that gets generated over the course of time. We look at the community that happens there. And then we really pause and listen and we think to ourselves, okay, did we achieve what we wanted to achieve? Are we close? What did we learn? What are our takeaways? And we really iterate it and adjust our strategy and start over. And what we've done so that we can, with my five-person team, stay abreast of all of our channels is that we've staggered our iterations so that while we start iterating on, let's say we start iterating on hypothetically Instagram in January, we'll start iterating on um, Twitter in February so that they're all on sort of a staggered loop so that you're not trying to tweak every wheel simultaneously. Some of them are just in the process of um, playing out your strategy so that you have the details to keep moving forward. That is such a great manageable tip for our listeners. I think if you look at that and and instead of trying to do it all at once, you know, a lot of times we talk about a social audit and looking at this big grandiose piece. But if you take it channel by channel at different times, I think you're always kind of iterating. Yeah. And I think you should always be iterating. And I think I think about this a lot. I think there's our overall strategy, which is our yep. content North Star. Yep. But then I think about people in general go to Instagram expecting a certain type of content before they even get to your feed on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Or they go to Twitter for a certain type of conversation before they get to your Twitter feed. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot as well that there's sort of a dual strategy. There's the strategy for the organization as a whole. And then there's the strategy for what do you, what does the audience expect of this channel? And how can you create content for this channel that really feels unique to this channel, unique to your brand and the place to be. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you iterate channel by channel, you really stay true to that. And it really helps you deliver well to the audience there because you're not battling expectations on multiple fronts. And how do you determine the best strategy by channel? So when you're looking at the specific channels, so you one of the things you mentioned that I loved, but I gave you the emphatic guess for, <laughs> is that we don't do the same content for all of the same channels. So how do you determine what's right? Is it is it gut or is it science or how do you make it work? I think it is the perfect combination mm-hmm. of gut and science. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's take LinkedIn, for example. Mm-hmm. So LinkedIn is a professional networking site. LinkedIn is pretty clear about that. When mm-hmm. you look at the user profiles and what you fill out on LinkedIn, that's yep. what it's about. Yep. So that's somewhere for us that it seemed like um, a no-brainer to be talking about the profession of teaching, that people are going to LinkedIn to professionally network, to learn tips for their profession, um, to learn how to interview for the profession. So tips about how to interview for a teacher, how to write a resume for a teacher, do great there. So our LinkedIn narrative is the profession of teaching and educational technology. Got it. So it's not somewhere where we would necessarily place a piece of content about an afternoon dance class after school. Right. So we really try and stick very closely to what is the purpose of this channel to begin with? What 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 is the audience coming here for, period? And then what could your unique niche be, there be? Mm-hmm. I think part of it, too, is who is your existing audience and what else are they following if you start to click through them? Mm-hmm. Um, what other brands are they following? What other companies are they following? What are they talking about? What are they not talking about that you do that would be great for you to get in on? Mm-hmm. And I really think it's part of being innovative in the space is really looking at what's going on in the space and then 
what could be going on in the space that's not going on in the space. Mm. Because as we all know, and, you know, perhaps my biggest challenge is there are more ideas than there's capacity. So I think it's about listing all your ideas and picking the really smart ones and not trying to go for everything. And sometimes the smart one is no one's really talking about this educational technology bit, but, you know, the intersection of science and technology and apps and LinkedIn being a network of apps could be a really interesting place to try it. That's really cool. I yeah. love that. I, lo- I love your overall strategy. So which networks are you on at Teach for America? We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Google+, Pinterest, YouTube, and Teach for America is running three blogs. We have Pass the Chalk, which is our organizational blog, which touches on lots of areas of education, education reform, teaching, student stories, alumni stories, um, administration stories. We have Teacher Pop, which is our first and second year teaching blog, mm-hmm. where we really let teachers write about their experiences. Mm-hmm. And I love it because it's really gritty and really real I'm and sure. about the feelings. And it's the audience talking to it themselves. And then we have the Poet Warriors Project, which is a student poetry writing project where teachers um, teach a poetry unit that helps students find their own voice and use their own voice to affect change in their communities. And then we give teachers access to our site so that their students can upload their own poetry. So the final stage in this curriculum is students publishing their own poems on the internet. Absolutely love that. So is it Is it just the five of you that are creating this content for all of these networks? Is that other than the other than the blogs, which have the contributors? So more or less. So we have a video team in house that is not part of my team called Studio One. Okay, and they create videos organization wide. Okay, so a lot of the all of the YouTube content comes from them, Mm -hmm. uh, except for some of our community playlists. And there's, um, we get a lot of help from our in-house creative team who would do a lot of the images that we see or some of the great art. And so that's that's great. And I would imagine that as social, you see video become more and more prevalent. You probably would lean on that team quite a bit if you can. Yeah. <laughs> if and when you yeah, can. Yeah, to the extent that we can. Yeah. That team is incredible. And we have some really exciting Instagram videos coming up that oh, we're working with them on. So stay tuned for that. I can't wait. I'm going to watch the channels for sure. Um, and so tell me. When Teach for America, which obviously is a nonprofit, right? And so they're they're having to invest in the time, the energy, the staff for social. How do they know that it's the right thing to do for their organization? How are they measuring that sort of return, if you will? What a great question, right? The ultimate a, question, how do you measure your question. return on investment yes. in social yes. media? Interestingly, we measure in a lot of ways, as I'm okay. sure every organization mm-hmm. does. Um, brand awareness, yep. brand affinity. Some yep. of it comes in from our insight group when people ask about where have you heard about Teach for America. We use tagged links so we can really see where traffic's coming from. So um, if we're running a series of reminders, let's say, to ask people who might be interested in teaching to apply to our core, we really look at how many applications of social media drive. Uh, or where is the interested traffic coming from? Mm-hmm. Are we able to send people to the pages? Mm-hmm. Uh, as I'm sure everybody looks yes. at, yes. Uh, well, it tells a good story. It tells a really good story. It does. Yeah, it and does. then we look at the amount of conversation we're generating around education, around our properties, around announcements that we put out. Uh, and we, like everybody else, use a lot of formulas that estimate impact and reach and um, how much of the conversation is about topics you're trying to drive conversation around. Do you have a favorite network? For a Teach for America? Oh, good question. Isn't it a good one? Uh, that is on a good the fly. one. It is an on the fly. 
Um, my favorite network this week, and it really does change on a weekly basis, is Instagram. Yep. Um, we recently launched our Instagram strategy, so we're really just um, watching it uh, either take some footing or not take some footing. But uh, we recently posted a photo where every single comment was tagging somebody else to look at the photo, and I think you could... You could expect nothing better of any piece of content than other people thinking it was so cool that they want to bring their friends to see it. Awesome. So that I was just cavelling over and now of course. I'm annoying everybody that sits around me by being like, and another person I just did it. So. And that's a great example of what you said about kind of the qualitative. Absolutely. Because from a quantitative, you're looking at how many comments are there. Yeah. But when you look at the influence that a post like that causes. And the really... quality of the comments. Yeah. I love when people call in other people because I think – it's them vouching for your content to their network. It's the and ultimate it's, sign. Yeah, absolutely. And to me, that's even a step better than sharing the content. If you think about a share or a retweet is sort of the ultimate. You bet. It's like, hey, look at this. This is, this is good enough for me to tag you to look at. Absolutely. I think that's key. And so, okay, we've talked a lot about Teach for America. Now I want to talk about Stacy for a minute. So Stacy, tell me about your own personal use of social media. Do you use it more or less than you did when you started working in social? Like, do you feel that that holds you back from using it personally or makes you want to use it more? You're so fired up. Where are you? I think on average it's probably the same, but truthfully it's a little bit more. Um, (laughs) But it's not more evenly across networks. Okay. Um, So for instance, you know, we just launched our Instagram strategy. I'm really into Instagram. My personal Instagram use has gone up dramatically over the past two weeks. Uh, And maybe Twitter has waned a little bit because I'm starting to notice a few things on Instagram. So I'm toying around on my personal handle in a way that maybe I wasn't doing two weeks ago. Because I want to see the difference between how a brand behaves versus how a person behaves. Absolutely. I like experimenting in that realm. Yeah. And I think Teach for America is always my number one priority on social. I'm always thinking about it. And I actually love um, the strategy that goes into thinking about how an organization or a brand behaves on social media, to me, it's a great game of chess. Yep. And it's always about thinking three moves ahead. Yep. And my brain just lays awake at night thinking about that. And I find that sometimes when I'm more into Teach for America social media, I'm a little less into Stacey Jaffe's social media. Yeah. And it, yeah. I get it. I totally do. And so tell me about if somebody wanted to grow into a position like you're in. They're listening to this podcast. They think you're fabulous. They're like, I want to be just like her. What advice would you have for an aspiring Stacey Jaffe? I would tell an inspiring Stacey Jaffe to volunteer. I think that it's really important to have lots of interests outside of whatever your career is. I think that it only makes you smarter in your career because you interact with people you might not have otherwise met, and they spark new ideas for you and new areas of creativity and Back to the volunteering angle. I mean, here I am working in social media because I was volunteering on the camp board. So, so career awesome. changer right there. Awesome. I love it. Well, Stacy, thank you so much for being on our podcast today. You were it fabulous. Was such a pleasure. Thank you Where so much. Where should people for follow me. you? Where follow they... me on Twitter follow... at Stacy Jaffe. At Stacy Jaffe. You heard it here first. Stacy with an E. Stacy with, with an E. Right. Stacy with an E. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Carrie. You've been listening to All the Social Ladies with Carrie Kirpin, CEO of Likeable Media. You can follow Carrie on Twitter, at Carrie Kirpin. To get current social media insights and great tips, sign up for Carrie's weekly newsletter by emailing newsletter at likeable.com. This podcast was brought to you by Likeable Media. At Likeable Media, we create, curate, and promote content that gets your brand results. Visit likeable.com for more information today.